If you're anything like me, you spent your childhood assuming that one day you'd meet your Prince Charming. You'd get married, you'd have a nice house in the suburbs, a dog, a career, and a couple of kids. It never crossed your mind that Prince Charming wouldn't come along, or that tragically you'd lose him before his time, or that your marriage wouldn't work out, or even that your biological clock would have other ideas. Or maybe you never really wanted that sort of happily ever after. Maybe you never wanted a man, but you did know you always wanted children. We're living in an age where for the first time, women can embrace motherhood on their own terms. They no longer have to put their lives on hold waiting for the right man, or settling for someone who they know isn't right for them, just so they can become a mother. More women than ever before are embarking on the journey to become what's known as a solo mother by choice. And while for a lot of us it doesn't feel like a choice, but more a necessity, the bottom line is there are now options for you to be able to fulfill your dreams of motherhood if the traditional route isn't playing out as expected. The No Need for Prince Charming podcast will share stories of Australian women who have successfully become solo mothers by choice. They each have a unique story as to why they decided to pursue motherhood in this way and the journey they had to go through to make this dream a reality. The hope is that by sharing these stories, you'll have the knowledge and the confidence to embark on this amazing journey yourself if you determine it's the right one for you. In the words of Walt Disney, all of our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. All you need is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. Today on the podcast, I have the wonderful Sarah. She and her gorgeous three-year-old son, Ollie, live in Melbourne. You may already be aware of some of Sarah's story from her Instagram account, Our Life in Melbourne. Welcome to the podcast today, Sarah. Really excited to hear from you. I've been following your journey for quite a while and I know lots of others will be interested. So I'd love to start with what made you decide to become a solo mum by choice? So for me, it was never that I was desperate to have a baby. I didn't have that kind of, um, yeah, I just was never, I was never, was never on my radar, I guess, so to speak. I'd travelled the world. I'd lived in London. I'd lived in Canada. Um, I had that travel bug. But when I returned from living overseas, I guess I started to see the relationship um, that my sisters had with their children. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember sort of being at family gatherings and I was a really cool aunt. Like, I loved that side of it. And then I kind of went, you know what? I think I want this for myself. I, yeah. I, I, I see having a child in my future because I, for me personally, I didn't want to, I didn't want to miss out. So I guess that's when I started to think about it and I kind of probably in my early 30s I said okay so by 35 if I haven't found the right person I'm gonna do it and 35 came around and I was like oh I'm not ready <laughs> and I sort of had bought a, a little apartment and I was renovating that and then I ended up chatting to someone who tried it in their 40s and it hadn't worked and I guess um yeah, kind of probably put a little bit of a rocket up my butt and I went, okay, I need to really seriously think about this and if I'm going to do it, I need to start looking into it because, you know, there's no guarantee that it can take, it can work, it's no, you know, who knows how long, how many tries, so I really need to start now. So, yeah, sort of from about, yeah, towards the end of 36, I went, right, I'm on it. And so what did you do when you decided? Did you go straight to a fertility specialist? Did you talk to your GP? Or? No, I talked to a GP and, and I, my first one was I went to a GP, then I was referred to a specialist and I got my eggs checked and she was like, yeah, eggs are amazing. And I was like, okay, great. And then I kind of held out for a little bit longer and then I went back to a different fertility specialist and they checked it again and they were like, ooh, <laughs> your oh. eggs are 
your eggs are sort of, you know, as we get older already within that space of time, they were like, you know, they weren't as good as they were before. There weren't as many and um, I went, okay, so I'm on this. So, yeah, I literally I went to a fertility specialist but the one I went to didn't actually have access to donor sperm. Right. So that wasted time because I kind of waited a few months because, because I was being told, yeah, it's coming, it's coming, we're going to get access. And they didn't. And actually, to this day, think they don't have access. So I'm glad I didn't wait. So you did your um, research and went, I can go with this place because they're going to have what I need. And then well, they didn't. Well, what happened is I said, like, I waited a few months and, you know, they kept saying, yep, it's going to be coming. But they were having, um, you know, the laws were different. And I was referred to a clinic that they used to work at. And they right. said, here's someone. Um, go there. So I literally just went to that clinic, which was Monash IVF. Mm-hmm. and started the process and what did you do when it came to choosing your donor did you go with an Australian donor or overseas so um Monash was um was Australian mm-hmm. um that was probably to be completely honest that was the hardest part for me was choosing the donor um because I knew how picky I was with partners yeah. and had my whole dating life you know you when I was dating I was like He's got to be tall. He's got to be this. He's, you know, you just, you just know how how fussy you are there. And then I was freaking out that this was going to be a potential half my child's DNA. And you don't get photos, and you just get a list. Um, you know, that first report shows, you know, that sort of basic information: weight, height, hair color, eye color. You know, a, that sort of initial basic info. And you go, okay, well, I potentially like the sound of this donor, so I'll have that donor number's full report that shows all their medical history. But it really was mentally quite challenging. But then you kind of have to put that aside and go, well, it's also going to have half my DNA and I'm him or her no matter what. Um, and and that's the most important thing because you're, you're being given the greatest gift of all. So for me... As I said, even though I really did struggle with that, once I'd found what I felt was the perfect donor for me, um, I just let it go and just went, it's going to be my my beautiful little baby no matter what. So, yeah, that's that's definitely a really tough part, but you have to look past that if you can. Yeah. Did you include anyone in the selection process or do you just do it by yourself, like family or friends or anything? No, look, my family, my mum and my sisters all knew about it. I hadn't really told many people. Mm-hmm. Because at that point, like my close, close, very small, close handful of friends knew that I was thinking about it or had started it. But, yeah, my because my, I'm very close with my family, my mum and my sisters knew. Um, but, I mean, the problem is, and especially here, is that there's not a great amount of donors and that really makes your list very, very small. Um, so, yeah, I'm sure that's probably still the case now I think it's probably worse now post-COVID unfortunately yeah so that is that is a really difficult part of of this whole process so you selected your donor and then what did you have to do to to be successful and get pregnant well um I went straight to IVF um I'd had issues with my um my period in the past so we skipped IUI and went straight to IVF so that you know we'd have that greater chance um 
And I was really lucky. I worked first go. Oh, yeah. Yeah, very, very, very lucky. And obviously it's not like that for everyone. But I got eight eggs Mm -hmm. and all eight um, were fertilised. Oh, wow. And I got six embryos from that. And then those embryos grew to um, day five um, and they all survived. That's some very good stats you've got there. (laughs) Yeah, and then um, my body had, I guess, going through all the IVF hormone drugs, they were kind of like, look, what we're going to do, we're not going to do a fresh transfer, we're going to do a frozen. Mm -hmm. They put all those little embryos, eggies, I say eggies, you know, put them all on ice and then the next month they did a frozen transfer and that one, as I said, was really lucky because that was Ollie. Um, and I didn't think it was going to work because mentally I prepared myself that um, I, I was like, okay, I've got six goes potentially. Yeah. So first one doesn't work, I've got some more tries. So, you know, the chances are, are not great that it will work. And so pretty much when I got that phone call, I was walking back into the office and I stood to the side near the lifts where someone, no one could hear me. And they rang me and said, you know, you're pregnant. And I pretty much went, holy crap, really? <laughs> it just, I just mentally had prepared myself, which is a good thing, I think, because I wasn't, I wasn't stressing, so to speak. And yeah. I think that's hard too, because anyone going through IVF the stress mentally and, and emotionally on your body you got to try and be as stress-free and yeah it's tough yeah. was there anything good that you put in place while you were doing all the injections or anything that helped you on that side of it not really I think I think for myself because I've read I read everything possible I was on all the forums I was on all the Facebook pages you know you google everything and um look I think I was I was fairly healthy. Um, I don't, I'd been. I was fit. Um, I went in. I went in not being stressed because I did think if this doesn't work, a I've got some more goes. If this doesn't work, I've, I'd given myself another round, and that was going to be potentially it. Or I was really lucky that I was like, I'm going to make it work somehow. Whether it be my sister had my sister had offered to, you know, help her eggs or her carry it. Or I was oh, like, what a beautiful gesture. Yeah. Or if that doesn't work, maybe, you know, I have to look at another path. So I think knowing that this was just the beginning and I could somehow find a way, that little bit of stress was taken off. Um, so I went in, I went in not being too stressed about it. I mean, that two week wait is the worst, finding mm-hmm. out I'm pregnant, the worst. And you're like, do I, is it, do I feel something? Am I feeling different? Is <laughs> Were you Googling all your symptoms? Yeah, pretty much. And there was something, and I wish I could remember because I can't because I've got a terrible memory, but there was something in that two-week wait that made me go, I wonder if I could be. Because it was just something that I don't know if it was like I felt something in my tummy or if I just had had crazy dreams or something. And, um, yeah thought why am I not anyway I waited to the day before I got my results so that two-week wait I waited because you know they say don't do there's no point doing tests because all the hormones are still in your body that can give false positives so the day before I had the the, like the news the results I um I did a test and it showed I was pregnant but I (laughs) 
don't get your hopes up. Don't get your hopes up. Wait till you have the blood test ones back. Yeah. Um, I got those the next day. And how did pregnancy go then? So obviously very relieved it happened first go and then with the pregnancy as nice yeah. as well. I was really lucky. Um, you hear horror stories. And I had, a, I, had a, I had no major morning sickness, a little bit of um, nausea, but I didn't vomit. Um, so I actually had a pretty good pregnancy. There were, there were no hiccups. There were no, yeah, no crazy symptoms, no crazy cravings. Um, I was pretty boring, to be honest. I think I made a rookie mistake at my baby shower of wearing high heels. Mm-hmm. Halfway through the baby shower, I went, oh, my back's hurting. And then after that, for like the next eight weeks, walking around the office in flats, I would get really bad twinges and pains in my back so I think that wasn't my smartest move and that that really was was very painful but as I said overall it was a pretty easy pregnancy the thing as well is I refused to listen to too many people giving me their stories of what labor would be like (laughs) I didn't want all these ideas I kind of went in a little bit blind into labor so I think that helped too and when you told everyone around you that you're pregnant and how you got pregnant, did you get any interesting responses or was everyone really supportive? No, everyone was amazing. Um, I think I think work was like, what? Like, because no one saw it coming. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I think they were pretty shocked. But, again, everyone was always supportive. My family were amazing. My friends were amazing, I think. I think it's just it's just becoming more common these days and someone knows someone that's gone through it. Even now when I talk to people and I'm like, you know, blah, 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 because I'm very open and vocal about I tell anyone and everyone because I'm so proud. Yeah. yeah, that I'm a solo mum by choice and they go, oh, yeah, my friend's friend's a solo mum by choice. Oh, yeah, my aunt, you know, I know someone. So I just think it's becoming more common. Yeah. And so how was labour? Did you so get like, a full term and and wait for it well, to come on or were you induced? Or? Yeah, I was induced. So being, I mean, they don't use the word geriatric anymore, but <laughs> technically geriatric pregnancy um, and IVF, they obviously don't want you to go full term. So I was booked in to be induced. Um, oh, I think I was 38 plus seven or something. Yeah. So it's pretty close. And so we're booked in. And my mum, my mum was my support person in the hospital. We're driving to the hospital and we're probably five minutes away from the hospital and I get a phone call and the hospital goes, we're overbooked. Oh, we can't today. So you can either come back next week or you can go to a different hospital. Okay. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, well, I'm mentally prepared to have this baby today. I can't wait another week. Like I just can't. I'm, I'm, I, let's do this. And so we turned around and drove another 30 minutes back to another hospital and uh, ended up having it there. So that was, I think I got there about like 5 p.m. You know, you're waiting to be adduced. I think I was, you know, they started the whole the whole process at like midnight. You get then woken up at 5 a.m. I had the balloons. I have to pop the balloons and, um, and then it all kind of starts to begin. And I think I've got a pretty high 
pain threshold. I've always been told that. So even in labour at the beginning, especially um, up until the point where it was really starting to get a bit, uh, I was I was doing okay. Um, but what started happening towards the pointy end was my back was starting to have that problems with the spasm that I'd had yeah. during during pregnancy. Um, and that was really, really starting to hurt. So I made, I tried the gas and the gas made me want to vomit, which was gross. Yeah. Um, and then I just went, you know what? I'm going to do the epidural. Yeah. And for me, it was the best thing I ever did because I was like, I can't feel my legs. <laughs> Same. I just watched baking shows on TV the whole time. <laughs> it was great. I know. It was a game changer. Um, so, yeah, so that the epidural was amazing. The problem was they then, when it got to right at the end, when I had to push, uh, they had me pushing for almost two hours, which was <gasps> ridiculous. They, they were struggling and then, you know, they were trying to work out what to do and whether to, to sort of, oh, anyway, all those horrible things. And finally a new doctor came in this room and he was like, right, we are getting this baby out. We're going to do, you know, a few more of the biggest pushes you've ever had in your life. And he completely changed the whole dynamic in the room. And, yeah, it, Ollie ended up being born, um, which was amazing. So oh, you would have been exhausted after pushing for two hours, though. Wow. Yeah, it was. I think it was like 1 a.m. at that point. Um, so it had been a you know, long day. But, you know, it's all forgotten once you have them. You mm. had little thing and you're like I don't know what to do with it but here we are and did you know that you were having a boy I did so I I've been quite open about this I always wanted a girl and I, I'd been to psychics and I'd been to one like a year earlier and she was like I see a girl on your shoulder and she looks exactly like you you're gonna have a girl so I mentally needed to prepare um so I found out I did the harmony test at weeks and um found out it was a boy and I remember sitting in the doctor's chair and I could see the report on the table and I kind of did this side glance before he told me the results and I saw it say boy and I kind of just tried to hold my tears um, because I'd wanted a girl that was what was in my head and I walked out because I was like, oh, great, yay. And I walked out and I called my mum and my two sisters, had them all on FaceTime, and I just cried. I just cried. And, you know, the, it took me that moment to process it. And then I went and went shopping yeah. and boy clothes and, and then that was it. And then everyone, everyone kept telling me, boys love their mamas. The boy relationship between a mum is amazing. And, I mean, I see that now. And to be completely honest, for me, it's probably good I had a boy because I think he grounded me because that little girl would be such a princess. <laughs> I could be in so much trouble. Um, so, and I wouldn't have it any other way now. Uh, but it's just that first, you know, there is there is a thing of that gender disappointment at the beginning, but. As I said, at the end, you're so blessed that you have that little child. Um, and I've, as I said, never, never, ever thought any different from that moment after that. Just did your little processing. Yeah, you do. You do. And that's okay. It's okay to feel that way because it is a normal feeling. Um, and as I said, felt it, processed it, 
and here we are. Probably a good thing that you did that while you were pregnant rather than. Yeah, I know. I couldn't wait. I am the sort of person that needs to like buy clothes and set up the room, and I couldn't do just white, yellow, and grey for the whole time. Like I needed to be buying. I mean, the clothing options for boys is definitely not as good as girls. I, I, I still to this day walk past a girl section and go, "It's so cute," <laughs> but you make it, you make it work. And so how did you find the first few days when you got home from hospital? Were you by yourself? Did someone stay with you? And how did that I, What I had done was just be, sort of the last few months of being pregnant, I'd actually moved in with my mum and stepdad. I was very lucky. I've lived with them lots of times before coming in and out of living overseas. And um, it was decided, um, yeah, they were wonderful and said, we're happy to have you. Mm. plan was to only be there for like six months to a year yeah but COVID. so I ended up living there two years which was a blessing in in the end but um yeah I think those first few days I mean everything's just a blur because you just don't know what you're doing you just how do you bath them properly you're just so scared because they're so tiny and their heads and um look as I said I, I'm really lucky that I did have my mum and my mum's incredible so she was there loving it um and so, so helpful. But you just kind of get into the routine and, uh, you know, I had this routine going and, yeah, you're just in that haze for that beginning. Well, yeah, I think you're in there for more than just the beginning. But um, years maybe. I know. <laughs> Still in that haze. But, um, yeah, so I was really lucky that I did have that support, which is, is a really big help. So how old was Ollie when COVID hit? Uh, so he was probably just under one so I had had you gone back to work at that stage no not yet and I had um so I'd had a really great maternity leave I felt for all those mums that were in COVID that just couldn't do anything you know I had mother's group I went to book time I got out and about and I did so many things um and then probably yeah in the last month or so things started to start to shut down um, last few months I'd got Ollie in a month before I was due back to work mm-hmm. um, and I was trying to negotiate with work at that point um, to do a few days working from home yeah and unfortunately I was told no your job couldn't be done working from home <laughs> how that will have changed <laughs> I know and then literally when I came back to work the whole of basically Australia was working from home had been doing so for three weeks my office had um so I went straight from maternity leave into working from home in and out for the next two years which was you know for me that was probably again a blessing because it gave me extra time with Ollie even though it was incredibly hard especially for those in Melbourne um but yeah it sort of almost gave me that extra two years yeah even though it's hard working with a child ridiculously hard but you yeah. just did what you do. was he in daycare as well then for some of those in, days yeah so in and out because childcare was open for some of it and then there were like that big chunk where it wasn't open in in melbourne um which again was really hard but i was also lucky because i was working i was working full time that my stepdad, my mum was still working her work. She had to go in um, COVID the whole time. But my stepdad was home. So at least I did have someone else I could 
bounce off and I could hand Ollie to when I needed, um, which was a big help. Yeah. It's obviously COVID's all over now and you're back to normality health. So Ollie must be, what, four? Three. Three. Three, yeah. So, yeah, he turned three a few months ago, a month ago. Um, yeah, life is, you just, because what happened was once sort of COVID started to calm down, I bought a place. I moved into it so it was just Ollie and I and that in itself was also a scary thought because I was like I've had help for the last two years and I I don't know if I can do this myself and of course you can of course you can but you just kind of doubt yourself for that moment and look it was you know the best thing I did was getting our own little place and and proving how strong you actually already are. I mean, you've had a baby by yourself. You're still, you're already a superhero. But yeah. things like that is just finding your your new norm and your new routines and and just going through it as your life together. Um, so, yeah, so we've been in here a year. Um, and then obviously seven months ago I actually met someone and that's been a whole nother game changer. It just feels like it's been four years of craziness and and now I'm on to that new level of craziness um and so how did you go about dating while you're a solo mum and COVID and all the rest of it how do you even fit it in I didn't I didn't at all um COVID didn't even think about it mm. no point um and then when I moved into here so a year ago I probably you know I had the apps yeah and I was like look but, you know, you kind of chat to people and often sometimes what would happen is you'd you'd be like, yeah, you've always open at the start and say, you know, I'm a, I'm a single mum or I'm a solo mum. I would always be honest and tell, the, tell exactly my thing because um, it's either going to make them run or they're going to go, wow, you're amazing. Um, yeah. And a lot of the times they just ran. <laughs> so I'm like, see ya. Good riddance. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, I'd been on, I'd actually been on one date towards the end of COVID, which was a nice guy, but just no, not for me. And then a year ago, I, I, I started to see someone. I went on a handful of dates, but he lived an hour from me and it was just too hard. Yeah. And, you know, it just, it really wasn't the right person because, you know, he would wait like three days to text me back and I was like, mm, this is well, Nobody's got time for that. No. I, know, I don't have time. We don't have time for that. Anyway, so I kind of was like, no, nah, I'm not, you know, I'm not really that fussed because it is hard to find time to even go on a date because um, you have to rely on someone else to help out and you feel like such a burden. Um, but I matched with this guy on Tinder and he lived like five minutes from my house. Andy? And yeah, we caught up for a coffee and then seven months later, here we are. Um and it's just been a complete game changer. And it still blows my mind that I found someone because it just was never on my radar and I was completely fine it just being the two of us. And I wasn't sitting here going, I need to find a man, I need to find someone else because I really was so content and so happy in my life um, with Ollie and I. Um but it is funny how something does come along that complements our life. Um, and I've always said you, you can wait to find the right person. You can wait. You can find someone at 50. You can find someone at 60. You can find the right person potentially, but you can't wait to have a baby 
if that's what do not wait because your window is it sucks that your window is so small to have a child it's so not fair because men can have them whenever they bloody want but yeah it's um it's just not fair and so if it is something you want to do don't wait because you'll never you'll and that's the thing if you even if you start seeing someone before you do it you know it takes six months a year to actually know someone and then you're adding more time and then trying to fall pregnant you're adding more time so yeah I think yeah don't wait and you'll never have enough money and it'll never be the right time and it'll never be this but you're just putting more restrictions on yourself so people make it worse like make it work on so much less so if it's something you want just go and do it because it was the best thing I ever did and it still is it's just been amazing wonderful advice that one yeah so going into it did you think you'd have just one child given that you've got five MBs in the in the freezer I think I I've always known it would probably just be one child yeah uh, I don't think I could afford if it was just me I don't think I could afford to mm-hmm. uh, I work full-time I work Monday to Friday um I couldn't afford it I knew I could give Ollie a really good life just being the two of us mentally financially um emotionally I just knew that he could have a really good life with the two of us yeah of course I'd love you know a brother or sister but he's got really close cousins he's got lots of little friends and yeah um I actually just let go of my other embryos we did a few months ago um and again that was a really really hard decision um but I'm 43 this year and I just thought, can I see myself going through the whole thing again? And even having that chat with my now partner being like, if we need, to, if you want kids, we need to really talk about this because, again, I don't have time. I don't even know if I can. Um, and also I had the embryos up for, um, up for renewal. So um, I'm completely comfortable knowing that I let him go even though it's hard um, because as I said I just yeah I just can't see myself now going through and starting all over again I just like the little life that I have and the new life that we're going to be having um, with my partner and his dog and Ollie has a little family now and I guess part of that conversation was also weighing up if you were going to do it for a second one whether you'd want to use your embryos or with a new partner as well so that's a really difficult conversation to navigate I'm sure it is because you know obviously my eggs aren't the eggs that they were at 37 and even if I did try with my partner the chances are probably slim Mm. then you know and then you add in that that little spanner again I mean not that it would be a big deal and he'd be amazing and supportive but you know technically it's not his biological child doesn't matter but yeah, it's there. It's a. It was a really awkward, difficult relation to broach. We're broaching this at three months in. You, you know, you still don't really know someone. But you know, again, can you wait a year? Can you wait two years? No, I'm forty five. You need to. We need to just have this chat now. I guess um, it's a good chat to work out whether you do want to be with him or not, and how he reacts to it. So, hundred percent. So that's good. Did and you know. He's been amazing with Ollie and they're starting this really great little friendship and relationship and it's been really nice to see and, you know, you only hope that this is what 
your future is going to be like. That's all you hope getting into a relationship is that it's forever, but, you know, we'll cross all those bridges when we come to those. And how did you navigate your new partner meeting Ollie? And what did you what were your sort of signs that you knew um, you were ready to no, do that? I think you read everything out there and everyone's like, hold out, hold out, hold out. But I think you have to do what's right for you personally. Um, because, yeah, I know people that don't want to wait six months or want to wait a long time. But um, for me, he probably met Ollie after a month. Mm-hmm. We just went down to a park. Um, Ollie and I were at the park. My partner and his dog came along. Ollie and the dog became best friends instantly. Um, and it was just really casual. It was really relaxed. There was no, you know, awkward pressure or anything because we were just at a park. I was just talking to someone. Um, and then obviously for quite a few months from there, um, you know, I might, my partner might come over for dinner and he might stay the night, but he would, I would kick him out before. Ollie would wake up because I didn't want him being in the space when Ollie would wake up because this is Ollie's space. Yeah. Um, so I was really conscious of, of being, yeah, making sure Ollie was okay. Um, but as I said, he really quickly started to form this great, great little friendship with Ollie um, and there's never been any pressure and, um, yeah, it's just kind of grown from there and, and things like, Something as simple as we'll be walking down the street, um, say walking the dog, and Ollie will instantly now reach for my hand but also reach my partner's. So that's force. That's not me saying hold my partner's hand. That is just what he wants to do now or um, little things like that that are just he'll now go to my partner and ask or, yeah, it's just kind of it's growing organically on its own. Well, it's gorgeous and I'm sure that will give a lot of women hope I know a lot going when they are pregnant are thinking all right I have the baby then I'll meet someone but then once they get the baby they're like actually if I don't it doesn't matter and like yeah. it just happens magically yeah. at the right time I I honestly didn't think that I would be in this position now I didn't think I'd meet someone because I hadn't met someone right for the last you know other than a couple of partners I dated but almost like 20 years mm. I date I had boyfriend but you know, none that I was ready to settle down and have babies with. And that was the thing. I wasn't going to just settle with someone for the sake of it because it's just so much more complicated. And I'd rather just do it myself and there'd be no drama and this child is 100% mine and he is or she is. They're so loved. They are so loved by solo mums by choice, you know. And have you started having conversations about being donor conceived with him? Yeah, so since Ollie was little, um, I've been reading books. Um, there's some fantastic books out there. So, you know, Ollie, you know, does he comprehend it all? No, three. But if I said to him, you know, we don't have a daddy in our lives, what do we have? He'd go, I have a donor. Yeah. Um, so it's little things like that that I sort of will say every now and again. I don't want to ram it down his throat every five seconds. Um, you know, I talk about we've got our special little family um and so and look and that's potentially going to change but we'll cross all those bridges when it comes to that again it's a while away but um yeah I've always read the books and had little conversations here and there when we're reading the books because I think it's so important to do that you are open and honest it's just the added extra complexity if there is a a strong male figure Mm -hmm. in your lives of how they navigate that but with between donor and 
this is not daddy yeah yeah that's it that's it yeah it's a tough one but yeah so looking back now is there anything you think you'd do differently on your journey no I think I think as I said mine went mine went really smoothly um yeah I don't think there's anything I think everything worked out how it was meant to work out because if I said I had started earlier then I probably wouldn't be here I wouldn't have Ollie yeah. it's that sliding door moment um look I think as I said I say to everyone like I said before just if it's something you really are thinking about just go and have the test and start having a chat with the doctor or you know that you don't lose anything by having that chat yeah. and getting your fertility kind of checked um so I think that's a really important thing to do and I think you just don't realise how common it actually is. I mean, there's so many different types of family families now, you know, mm. two dads, there's two mums, there's a mum, there's grandma and grandpa. That it's, just, it's just so common and you talk to people now and I'm always open and honest and I'm so proud that I will shout it from the rooftops when I chat to some stranger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and most of the time someone will go when you tell them for the first time, oh, yeah, my friend did that. Oh, yeah, there's a lady at my work that's gone through that or is thinking about doing it. So I think that stigma has long gone. It's so, yeah, it's just, it's just normal now. Mm. And people are so supportive and people think you're a superhero and we are, but you just, because people always say, I always get all the time, oh, my goodness, how do you do it? How do you do it solo? Like, I just don't know how you do it. It must be so hard. And I went, you know what? It's always been me. I've just done it. I don't know any different. Mm. And it's just the norm for me. And you just get on with it. It's just how it is. And I wouldn't change it. Because I am proud. And, yes, in a strange way, you do think you're a superhero, but you just, yeah, it's amazing how, and I hope Ollie looks back one day and just goes, I see how hard my mum worked and how much love she gave me and he appreciates and understands that it was all because he was wanted so badly that I went out and had him myself because I wanted him so badly and how much love I had to give him. I think that's a really beautiful way to end. Thank you so much for sharing your story, Sarah. I think you've given people a lot of hope that they can find love after this as well. And just that having, if being a mum is the most important thing to you, just get it done. And like you say, the right person will come into your life when they're meant to and it won't hold you back. So really, really wise words there. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I'm Alicia and this is the No Need for Prince Charming podcast, bringing you stories of Australian solo mums who created their own happy ending. If you like what you heard, please follow or subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes and leave a like, a review or share with your friends to help others find it easier. Bye for now.